Welcome to the Kent Lab Podcast, featuring long-form conversations offering wisdom, hope, and community. Now, here's your host, Kent Lapp. Hello, friends. This is Kent Lapp, and welcome. Glad you are with us. In this episode, I'm honored to bring you my conversation with Jannie Ortland. As an author and a speaker, one of Jannie Ortland's chief goals in life is to connect women with the Word of God. As Executive Vice President of Renewal Ministries, God is using her in women's conferences, both in the United States and abroad. Jannie's first book, Fearlessly Feminine, published in 2000, encourages women to boldly embrace God's unique design for them as women. Her second book, His Loving Law, Our Lasting Legacy, Living the Ten Commandments and Giving Them to Our Children, published in 2007, demonstrates the relevance of the Ten Commandments for today and offers practical ways to live them out and teach them to the children in your life. Besides conference speaking and writing, Jannie is a pastor's wife, mother, grandmother, and former elementary school teacher. She holds a master's degree in education. Jannie is married to Reverend Dr. Raymond C. Ortland Jr., author, former seminary professor, and founding and former lead pastor of Emmanuel Church in Nashville, Tennessee. The Ortlands have four married children and 13 grandchildren, although that number may have changed a little bit, serving Christ throughout the United States and Great Britain. When Jannie is not speaking, writing, or visiting family, you'll find her in her garden, enjoying tea with a friend, or taking a long walk with her beloved husband, Ray. In our conversation, we discuss education, parenting, pastoral succession, pastoral ministry, how we can support our pastors, her new book, Help, I'm Married to My Pastor, (laughs) her podcast, He Renews My Soul with Jannie Orland, good communication, the current social and political upheaval, and much more. Be sure to check uh, out RenewalMinistries.com where they seek to spread gospel renewal to weak people through weak people by the power of God. We talk about that ministry on the podcast. You'll hear a little bit more about that. And also be sure to check out our podcast, herestoresmysoul.org, a podcast to encourage women with God's renewing power for our busy lives. My wife, Marianne, and I have much love, respect, and appreciation for Jannie and Ray and their ministry. And I really hope you find this as helpful and enjoyable as I did. Uh, be sure to check out the Kent Lap podcast on YouTube as well, as we have all full-length conversations in video format as well there, as well as a whole bunch of clips. You may find that helpful if you're looking for some wholesome or helpful entertainment in the evenings, uh, as opposed to the news channels and so forth. Uh, you might want to check out the YouTube channel. So just search the Kent Lap podcast on YouTube, and there you have it. Without any further ado, I give you my conversation with Jenny Orland. Please enjoy. Well, Jannie Orland, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kent. Quite an honor to have you. Oh, Quite an honor. The honor is mine. Yeah, well, I've been looking forward to this. I have too. So I'd like to just jump right in if that's okay. Absolutely. The world, certainly America, is just in turmoil, it seems. Mm. We have we have uh, tornado. We have storms. We have, do you know the uh, the storm in, when was it? Like in April, I think, that came through Nashville. It was not the tornado. It was a few weeks after that. It was the biggest power outage in Nashville, including the 2010 flood. That's so, what I heard. Yeah. I was in California then, oh, okay. but I had friends yeah. who were out of power for 48 yeah. hours. And then there's hurricanes, and then there's uh, there's wildfires, and there's COVID, 
and it's a election year and everything is so politicized, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, then we have the unfortunate recent couple of deaths of these these wonderful, beautiful black people that were killed unnecessarily. And, and then it, it just seems like, it just seems like it's such in a, in a state of turmoil. Yes. So I'm curious, you have some experience in some years and you've seen a lot. Have you seen things like they are now? And then the follow-up question is, how do we get the peace of God settled deep into our hearts when there's all this going on? Because we feel the need to speak up and do some things. And then we have a brother or sister that has a different viewpoint. And next thing you know, we're getting maybe frustrated and almost argumentative. We need the peace of God into our hearts. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the world in this state before? Never. Never. Now, I was born in 1950. I lived through... 1968, the riots then, I was 18, um, not entered into it wholeheartedly, but as a young adult, I was very interested in it and drawn in somewhat, but not to this depth, Hmm. not the extended violence and anger, the lack of ability to somehow meet together the confusion of mourning and grieving the innocent murders, the murder, I should Mm -hmm. say, the murders Mm -hmm. of innocent men Mm -hmm. and women. We grieve that, but then there's that conflict in our heart because the results, the, the protests, when they turn violent, we don't want to approve of them, but we right. do approve of what's the passion behind them. That's right. So there's so much conflict, and it's extended for so long, Kent, mm-hmm. days, not, not just a week, but it's, it's going into its second week soon, and mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like this. Hmm. How do we find the peace of God? How do we go there and stay there? Oh, well, it's up to each individual and her or his own relationship with the Lord. But I think of Psalm 62.1. It's my life verse. My soul finds rest in God alone. Mm. So that my soul does not find rest in Uh, a political party winning. My soul does not find rest uh, in my finding the right group to support and be surrounded by. My soul, although, you know, those things are good, they're not necessarily evil, but when I'm looking to them for rest, Mm -hmm. I have nothing to give them when they fail me. But when God is my rest, Mm -hmm. When my soul really sinks deeply into him and I find my rest in him alone, then I have something to give. It's called the hope and grace of Jesus Christ (laughs) into anything. Yeah. Well, how do you, how do you deal with almost this inherent need then to pass that peace to others. And, and a lot of times it kind of turns into passing our opinion to others. In other words, what I, I guess what I'm getting at is there's all this contention in the world 
And then if we can actually get the peace of God settled into deep into our hearts, that's great for us. But then we're also called to, to help our brothers and sisters and to sort of spread that peace. And it's at that point that it seems to get contentious, right? Because we're trying to, we think we're trying to spread the peace of God or, or our thoughts, but then those thoughts can be, other people can have different thoughts. And then next thing you know, we're kind of back in this contention point again. Um, I guess we sort of feel like we have the the personal responsibility to to let everyone know, you know, what what we think. I guess so. Maybe maybe the question is, okay, if we can work at getting that peace into our hearts, like what then? You know, mm-hmm. just just kind of what does it mean? Yeah, yeah. What does it mean, or how can we share that with others? I have to be really careful because I'm very chatty. I love to hear my opinion spread forth. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear myself talk. It, I'm really ashamed to say yeah. it. But I have been trying lately to wait until I'm asked. I'm trying to listen more because as a white woman, I have a lot of privilege, Kent. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, indeed, I would say I can't really understand what my African-American brothers and sisters are going through. So I'm trying to listen more. Mm. Um, For instance, uh, a white friend, female friend and I, have joined with two of our African-American friends. We're all believers Mm. on um, a chat app. Mm. And we're laying out articles, questions, what are our goals during this season, We've given each other permission to speak into each other's lives. We have the freedom to offer opinion. Mm. That has helped me to not think of the large crowds, but get it down one-on-one where you can have uh, an honest exchange of ideas. Mm -hmm. But underneath that, if I might say this, Kent, before I start sharing my opinions, I would hope that I've spent time in the Word Mm. so that it's not just my opinion, but but that there's wisdom and discernment, insight Mm -hmm. from God above. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing that'll really help. That's the only thing that will really last. Who cares what Janie Ortland thinks? I mean, I've had some experiences that uh, people might be able to learn from. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hopefully I have. But ultimately... It's the word of God that proves true. Mm-hmm. He is the one who's brought us into this experience. He's the one who's going to lead us through it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I that's actually a great point. You you saying that one of the ways that you you are spreading that peace or the gospel message or trying to enact change is basically through your that very small group. It's four people, right? You said it was there's there's four of you that are in this in this chat. Now of course other opportunities may come along or whatever, but um, I guess that is a very Christian way of looking at it, and it's not natural to me. I would tend to think in terms of, well, if I have some peace to share or some thoughts to share, how can I get that out to the masses? <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. How can I how can I get this to the most people possible? And sometimes a group of four people to me sounds like a waste of time, you know, like mm. if it could be, if you could be using that time and somehow getting the message out to, to a greater crowd, that that would be a better way to go about it. But that's actually not, uh, 
I mean, we just see in the Bible so often that they, they took care of the need in front of them. You know, they, they established community with those around them and then it spread. So I guess there's an aspect here where we need to just trust God. You have that small group. I have a black friend that reached out and he's forming a, a group. Sounds somewhat similar to what you're talking about. Um, and a hundred percent, I want to be part of it. Um, it's not changing the world overnight, but it's starting somewhere and then we can let God work. Is that how you would think through that? I would, because I've seen and I've been tempted myself to jump onto social media. Mm -hmm. I mean, why is social media so popular, Kent? It's because people want a large platform. Mm. The more likes, the more followers, the more people that think I'm worthy of being read or listened to, it it feeds something Mm -hmm. within us. And... I'm wary of that. Mm -hmm. For me, it would be much more influential for me if if I could affect two or three close people Mm -hmm. strongly rather than a powerful tweet that lasts 24 hours to Mm -hmm. 5,000. Yeah. Now, how do you and Ray handle social media? I don't see a lot from you now with the with the way they've changed the algorithms and stuff. Apparently, I just remember the day where if you were on Instagram and you posted something, everyone would see it. But now they changed it to you, you might scroll a little bit on Instagram. You might not see half of the people's posts just with the way they have it set up. And Facebook's been like that for quite some time. Um but I don't see a, I don't see you posting a whole lot now. Ray uses Twitter a lot and Instagram a fair bit. I don't even think he's really on Facebook, is he? He's not on Facebook. Okay, so Ray seems to be using social media a lot. You don't use it quite as much, or maybe not much at all in seasons. So how do you guys? How do you handle social media? You try to stay off as much as possible, or does it go in seasons? I'd love to hear. Uh, Ray is much more active, as you've noted, than I am. I am not as good with words as he is. He. he well, who is? I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> come on. Thanks, that makes me feel a little yeah. better. I mean, he, uh, the Lord gave him a mind that yeah. forms phrases and mm-hmm. makes connections. I mean, he even has his uh, tweets divided into three <laughs> different kinds, you know, whether it's family, theological, or I can't remember the third category. Oh, wow. And so um, he thinks about it very Mm. carefully, and it doesn't take him a lot of time. It would take me 30 minutes to form a tweet in as tight Mm -hmm. and nuclear a fashion as Ray can in three minutes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And and so it's a matter of stewardship. Mm. What is God asking me to do? How can I best spend Mm. my time? I tend uh, to use social media for two things, to get the word out, the word of Jesus Christ out, and to communicate our family with our family to others, with our family and communicate our family to others. Because as you might know, um, I have a a real heart for leaving a legacy Mm. and... um, Maybe you've seen my hashtag to the 10th generation Mm -hmm. and it's my next book. And so I really want to leave a legacy. 
I won't have time if I spend a lot of time in social media. I get yeah. drawn into Facebook. I mean, I just had one of my second grade students from 1973 contact me on Facebook. Wow. Friend, they friended you? or Yeah. Well, they, wow. well, they messaged me and okay. wanted to write and say, oh, remember me? You were my second grade teacher yeah. in Dallas. And well... That happens frequently, and I love to interact, but I could, what I could do, Kent, is open up my computer in the morning, and rather than get to work, I could um, check, I do check my Twitter feed, but mm-hmm. I, I could write some tweets and then mm-hmm. go back and check it, get to Instagram, post there, then go to Facebook, and it would be noon. Oh, yeah. It would be noon yeah. before yeah. Yep. I got down to what the Lord has ultimately mm-hmm. called me to do. I believe God has called Ray to be a voice to more people than I am. I believe my role, my gifting from God is to help Ray do that, mm. whether it be um, by providing a good home environment for him, whether it be that sounding board, honey, can you check this tweet before I send it out? Whether it be encouragement after um, someone's bombed his mm-hmm. tweet, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. So... I, I don't enjoy it as much. He, he does. Mm-hmm. And I believe God is using him. Yeah. So I really have to watch my, my own life. I could get very involved in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it is the stewardship thing. It's not something that I was thinking about so much, but I'm going to keep that one <laughs> because that is a really good way to look at it. What strikes me is it strikes me as... Okay, so you are passionate about to the 10th generation. And yes, I was aware of that because it comes through at Emmanuel too, yes. and, um, which is wonderful. But a lot of people would use social media because they think that's the way to have it extend to the 10th generation. You know, mm-hmm. after they die, it's still going to be out there on the internet somewhere, um, which, you know, obviously you're going to have lots of things still out there with um, talks and books and things like that too. But, um, you know, you're there, there again, the, the, um, the social media, it's so in the moment, I guess, Mm -hmm. and it's so easy to get caught up into it. And so, yeah, I, I appreciate that thought about the 10th generation because you could spend all morning on social media as opposed to furthering a book or something like that. But does Ray, what, what I struggle with is I have definitely have a love hate relationship with it because last year, yeah, last year, 2019, it took most of the year off, wasn't on Instagram for probably nine months. Twitter had been probably two years. Um, and Facebook, I left my account active or whatever, but I personally, I don't like Facebook. <laughs> I wish Facebook would go away. But um, but then this year, you know, with this podcast and everything, it's kind of hard to have a podcast without any social media. So yes. I'm on it again. And it's what you said, when you post, then you're checking more. And, and then it's just this cycle. And I kind of feel like, yeah, I feel like when I spend some time on social media, like it, it feels a little, I don't know, like it feels almost dirty or like a waste of time. Like it's a necessary evil, I guess, is how I view mm-hmm. it. Does Ray view it as a necessary evil too, or does he just, he just thrives on it? Like, is there a downside there to him? I think he might be somewhere in the middle. Okay. Um, I don't know if he thrives on it, but I do think, forgive me, darling, if you're listening <laughs> and I'm not representing you well, but I do think he thinks of it as a sacred space, mm. a responsibility from God where he can represent, it's almost like a priestly responsibility where he can represent Christ, his word, and his ways 
to others. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, can't we believe our books will last longer than our social media? Mm-hmm. I, I, I could be wrong. I mean, you know, you're the one who got me started podcasting. Yeah. I'll have to tell yeah. your listeners that story sometime. <laughs> but um, so my podcast will be out there mm-hmm. and my speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray and I speak together sometimes. Ray's preaching, his speaking. But a book, I mean, think what a great servant it is. Mm-hmm. You spend maybe a year, nine months to a year, researching, writing. Uh, a publisher takes it and publishes it and prints it. And then people buy it and it sits on a shelf, maybe for years, without a, a moan or complaint. All you have to do is dust it once yes. in a while. And then one day someone pulls it off and reads it. And they have an eternal perspective change. Yes. Um, so to me, a book is a perfect, perfect mm-hmm. servant. Mm-hmm. Uh, social media feels more like a slave to me. <laughs> No, I totally get that. I mean, this book, this book over here on the bottom shelf, The Inextinguishable Blaze, Ray referred that book and it, oh man, no, I can't remember when it was written, but um, it's not recent. Like it's a 40 or 50 year old book. And, um, oh man, that, 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 that was impactful big time. Yeah. So that's to your point about 20 years goes by and you're not paying workers comp or insurance on that book. You're not giving it health benefits. 20 years goes by and someone picks it up and reads it and could change your life. No, I totally agree. The other thing, however, is I don't think, I don't think it's just going to be your books and so forth that, uh, that last to the 10th generation. I think it can just be your, your person. What's the way to say that? Like I'm, I'm, what I'm picturing is my, my grandfather on the lap side he died, oh, mid-90s. So he lived a long, healthy life. And um, he loved the Bible. I mean, he that Bible was worn and he would read it. He would think biblically. Like, it's what I see Ray and I see TJ. think They think very biblically. Actually, in John Farmer, too. Um, they think from the Bible. And my grandfather was like that. And uh, he... he um, Nothing flashy. I mean, he taught his share of Sunday school and he taught at a small Bible college and stuff occasionally, but that was years ago. And um, he uh, he was just a fruit farmer. He was a very simple fruit farmer. But he's one of the guys that I think of when I think of like just someone who's faithful and follows God and isn't being flashy and helps others and serves others and teaches the Bible and is learning the scripture until his dying day. And that has an impact. You know, yes. I'm a grandson and that has an impact on me. You're sharing so, that with yeah. all of your listeners yeah. and your yep. children too. Yeah, are here. exactly. Yep. And that example is informative to me. And so, you know, I think, yeah, I, I, I think you're going to have an impact with the 10th generation oh, <laughs> and social By media. God's can, grace. Yeah, and can social media place. can help. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. know I need it for my podcast. I need yeah. it. For other things. So. Yeah. Well, I also like that way of thinking of social media as a sacred space because I do pick up on that from Ray. He's not flippant, flamboyant, throwing some things out there, um, chasing likes or whatever, um, or g- just being the right amount of contentious to get something, a conversation started. That's just, that's kind of yucky. Um, so I think there is a real steward- stewardship there, that that uh, a responsibility that we have. Mm-hmm. Um Succession, pastoral succession. How is that oh. going? So you and Ray, do I have this correct that Ray was a pastor since 1975? Well, yes, if you don't 
count his high school pastoring while he was in seminary for three years. Oh, okay. So, so that would go back to 72? 72, yes. Oh, okay. He was a seminary professor nine okay. years in the midst of that, mm-hmm. but preached most Sundays. I can imagine. Um, and offered pastoral counseling to the pastors he was training, okay. although he didn't have a full-time pastoral okay. role while he was a professor. Okay. And then in September, I want to say September 8th, does that sound right? September How of 2019. you remember that? Well, That's I was there. Right. So. <laughs> yes. September of 2019, um, no longer in a full-time pastoral ministry. How Crazy. is all of that going? Well, by God's grace, it's going really well. And part of that, the main part of it is because of TJ and the staff, pastoral staff and eldership and the other staff at Emmanuel, really loving us well. And, um, you know, Emmanuel has... Well, let me say it this way. Ray and I have a ministry called Renewal Ministries mm-hmm. that we've now, we're now doing full-time. I was leading it while Ray was pastoring, and now he's the president, and mm. that's our speaking and writing ministry. And Emmanuel has taken um, Renewal Ministries under its wing mm-hmm. as one of their kind of missionary projects mm-hmm. and has employed Ray part-time as pastor to pastors. I mean, that's just wonderful. It's thrilling, and it gives Ray a a close enough tie with the church that he and TJ can still enjoy each other, meet each other, encourage each other, but Ray can stay out of their hair, Mm -hmm. and they won't have to be looking over their shoulder and thinking, oh, remember when Ray said we should never do this, but we really feel the Lord wants us to, so we need (laughs) to. So he doesn't find out. (laughs) Right, right, because there's that temptation with a founding pastor Mm -hmm. and, in a sense, an elder statesman. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's going well because of your generation Mm -hmm. at Emmanuel. We cannot thank the Lord enough for you and others like you who have made it very easy for us. Mm. We... um, we're learning how to live this new ministry mm-hmm. out, and it's exciting. We want our 70s, Kent, to be our best decade yet, because for the last 70 years, God has been pouring into us, and to whom much is given, much will be expected. When we die, we want to die exhausted. Mm-hmm. We want to, you know, just run to the final ending point and then fall over the yeah. finish line and fall into the Lord's arms, tired and spent, yeah. and be able to say, Lord, all the way we wanted to serve you. Thank you for that privilege. And he has poured so much into us in, in the way of, of family especially Ray's family, in the way of giving us children who love the Lord and are serving Him, in the way of Ray's keen intellectual ability and pastoral heart, in the privilege of writing, uh, in, in so many ways God has poured into us. So now is our time mm. to give and pour out to others. Mm-hmm. We just want to spend ourselves. Is it... 2 Corinthians 12, 15, you might have to look it up. I will most gladly spend and be spent Mm, for your mm -hmm. souls. So there's a a cheerful, I will most gladly spend. I'm going to spend myself and be spent. Let you pull on me, Mm -hmm. both active and passive in a sense, for your souls. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of work we're in. 
Boy, that's a long answer to your question, but it's going well. We mm-hmm. want our seventies to be our best decade. Yeah, well, they're going to be a pretty. It's going to be a pretty big decade if you want them to be your best decade yet, because you guys have had a real impact on people mm-hmm. around you. Um, you've had a a a to the tenth generation impact on Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. You know, and Praise we've only God. been there since the end of twenty sixteen. Mm-hmm. So you know, I won't be. <laughs> I won't be able to talk about you know my gratefulness for crossing paths with Emmanuel and Ray and you without, um, you know, getting emotional because it really has had an impact on my wife and I, I mean, a a very big impact. Yeah. I mean, we, and Emmanuel Nashville would not exist, you know, if you and Ray hadn't taken that step of faith. So you've already had quite an impact in your, in your years of ministry. So if the seventies are going to have the biggest impact yet, then get ready. (laughs) It's going to be quite a, quite a ride. Um, the, do you miss it? Does Ray miss it? Or are you just enjoying the rest? And then also it's a little weird because COVID hit then too, I guess, just a few months after all of that. And then you guys weren't able to be out and about. Yes. Um, I'm just crazy. Did, he, did, he, did you guys go through some sort of a withdrawal period? Well, we were granted a four-month sabbatical. Uh, Ray has never had a sabbatical. And so we thought we should before we begin full-time Renewal Ministries, and this pastor-to-pastor role, and some other responsibilities Ray has taken Mm -hmm. on. Um, And so we had a a wonderful four months. Um, Ray hunted, and Mm. I cooked venison. Oh, did you? (laughs) Yeah, lots of Wonderful. So that was great. Mm -hmm. I was working on a book. And then January 1st came, and in those first... Uh, 10 weeks of 2020, we had 16 conferences or speaking engagements. So we were really moving. The last one, we were with Sam Alberry mm. at Cedarville University in Ohio, the middle of March. Ray was speaking at chapel. The band came with us from Emmanuel. Yes, I heard, yeah. Yeah, it was a wonderful time. The spirit was so overflowing mm. in the students and faculty. It was just, oh, it was a taste of heaven. Mm. But the last time Ray spoke, the president got up and announced about the COVID virus and uh, he shut the school down. Wow. So on the way home, I was to fly out the next day to go to a conference in New Jersey, a ladies conference. And I remember we were driving with Sam. Sam begged me not to go. He said, Jana, you haven't been listening to the news. You don't know what's going on. Please don't go. And I didn't know what to say. You know, I hadn't been listening to the news. I didn't know what COVID-19 was. (laughs) And so we got home. And uh, fortunately, Sam was very relieved to know that um, the church had canceled the conference. So so he wasn't worried about his American mama. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But since March 16th, we've been home. Now, as with most of your listeners... There, it's been two-sided. We've had no one personally that we know who's contracted it. Mm. Um, much more died from it. Mm-hmm. So we count ourselves very blessed that way. But um, the lockdown, the shutdown, it's affected us all. And uh, at first, Ray and I really appreciated it. We, the first three weeks, we couldn't believe we were in our own bed in the same time zone. And right. Together. For, yeah. It was wonderful. But... But then as we saw some of the other effects, it's been kind of hard. We're, we're a ministry couple. We love to give. Fortunately, 
we both had writing projects. And so the Lord has allowed us time to go deep in mm-hmm. research and study and writing and prayer, walking, taking care of each other. And um, I've been working on a little acronym for COVID-19. Okay. Uh, Christ overcoming victories mm. in our distress. Mm. And I've asked him for 19 victories oh, wow. during this time. And I'm on mm. number 17. Really? So I just praise the Lord for that. I did not want to go down into darkness mm-hmm. in this. God has allowed it. Um, and he will accomplish good through it if we believe what he says. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to lean into that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's a lot of hard, but to answer your question, how Ray and I are doing, I think we're doing really well. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, the Lord has developed our marriage throughout the years into a friendship. So we really like each other. We don't just love each other. Some married couples really do love each other, but they might not like each other that mm-hmm. much. Ray and I, we just have fun together. And um, he's a wonderful husband. Yeah. So we're we're doing really well. Thank yeah. you. We we can't wait until we can get out again. And- yeah. Well, for sure. Well, I'm I'm sure that's uh, hopefully that happens soon. Um, now the sabbatical. I did see Ray speaking a few times in that sabbatical from September <laughs> to the end of the year. Which I think shall- I emailed him or texted <laughs> or something because I get the uh, newsletter for Renewal Ministries. Yes, Is yes. it RenewalMinistries.com or .org? It's RenewalMinistries.com. RenewalMinistries.com. My podcast is .org. Okay. Now, the podcast is, yes. Yeah, so, RenewalMinistries.com. Now, that's actually a ministry that Ray's parents founded. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. And then pass it to you guys. And now you guys ago. are stewarding that. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, your podcast is that that's He Restores My Soul. .org. .org. Thank you. Okay. For, yeah. Kent, can I just tell yeah. your listeners how that got started? Uh, sure. <laughs> Well, you might not remember this, but you came to me and at one point um, you said, you know, Janie, I don't know if you realize this, but ladies in my age group are doing less reading and more listening. And I think they need an older voice speaking into them. Could I help you get started on a podcast? And I started kind of shaking in my boots thinking, a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I really, it was a brand new idea to me, Kent. Mm. So I went home and prayed with it. I prayed with Ray about it mm-hmm. and laid it before the Lord. And he seemed to be saying yes. And then Renewal Ministries was willing to, to pick it up. But I never would have gotten started if you hadn't asked me. Yeah, so I yes. thank you for that. Well, certainly. I mean, that was a so very small part. I was happy to be a, a spark to light the fire. Um, and it's going well, I've heard. I believe it is. Yeah. Yes. Do you guys release about an episode a week, is it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he restores my soul. And it's on all the podcast channels, Apple, uh, Apple yes. Podcasts, um, I think maybe, yeah, I think it's on most of them. It the, is. The major ones, at least. Uh-huh. So he restores my soul. Um, what was an, what would be an example of one of the victories that you mentioned of the 19 and you had said you're at 17? Um, is there one that's, you know, not too personal that you are, that you could share an example of one of those victories that you were asking for? Yes. Oh, there's so many. <laughs> one victory was 
sustained life of a very premature little girl born to mm. a beloved friend. Um, Rebecca and Philip Vaughn mm. were pregnant with a little girl, and she came very early at, uh, I think, right at five months. She might have been, maybe she was 19 weeks. She wasn't quite 20 weeks, I believe. I want to be careful about my facts. I've got it written down. Mm-hmm. But And they didn't think she was going to make it. She mm-hmm. was one pound, 10 ounces. And, oh um, you know, it needed so much care. And we just prayed. And Rebecca comes from a large family. Uh, they're friends of ours from Augusta and her Parents are on our board at Renewal Ministries, mm. Anne and Byron Morris. Oh, wow. And um, this little girl has survived so far. She's five weeks old now, outside the womb. Still very young. Very young, in the NIC unit. But to me, that's a great victory. Oh, yes. Um, her chances were not good when she first came. And God has seen fit to give her life this long. Mm-hmm. No one knows how long a Mm -hmm. life is. I mean, you and I don't know, Kent. But uh, her life was so fragile, and that was a real victory for us. Oh, yeah. We just felt in all the distress around us. um, Oh, go ahead. There have been others as well. I have my list at home. Yeah, no, I was just curious what an example uh, of of a victory would be. So, yeah, that's that's great. I love how you took the... uh, the opportunity to, I guess, in a sense, instead of sort of backing down, you really just doubled down on during COVID and asked the Lord for those 19 things. Yeah, that's really, yes. that's a, definitely a, instructive to me. Um, Let me just say this. You see, I wouldn't have been in town to help Rebecca. Her mom lives in Augusta, and she called me right away when Rebecca went into labor, was having problems. Can you get over there? And I was... 40 minutes away versus Anne being six hours away, five hour, five mm. and a half hours. So because of COVID, I could get over there. I was Oh, on. they live here. They live in Nashville. Oh, But the gotcha. Morrises live yeah. in Augusta. Right. Yeah, yeah. I knew and that. Yeah. So uh, that's why I counted it as a COVID victory. I would have been out of yeah. town yeah. if it had not been for COVID. I but see. the Lord knew yeah. that Rebecca needed an older lady who'd mm-hmm. been through a lot of births. Mm-hmm. And um, so... Yeah. Well, the Lord... We were just talking about this the other day. It was with... I think it was with Chad... Um, Chad Carger, which that would be out at the time that this comes out. But talking about suffering and just how that... Um, you know, sometimes it's hard to understand suffering. And... Um, but there is beauty that comes out that we don't always see in the moment. But God is working a plan, and that we can trust. Yes. What about? Um, I'm curious what it what what is what is it like to be um, in the in pastoral ministry for even just period, just being in the pastoral ministry, but certainly over such a long period of time. Um, how, how can yeah? What is it like to? What is the life of a pastor like? <laughs> <laughs> is this podcast? (laughs) Oh, it's gloriously, delightfully difficult. There are so many joys and delights in it, but it is a responsibility. Um, 
You know, you're called into a pastorate. A church issues a call for you to come. It's a sacred call, hopefully from the Lord on high. Hopefully the elders are getting it right. Mm -hmm. So it's more than a responsibility than just to your earthly boss, whether it be a group of elders or the superintendent of the schools that you're employed by or whatever it is. It's, again, a sacred calling. Um, But what, what better way to spend your energies studying the Word, teaching the Word, giving the Word over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. meeting with people, baptizing them, burying them, marrying them. I mean, think of all the important times in your life that happen at church. Mm -hmm. And the pastor is often the officiant. He is the one leading in that. Such a privilege. Oh, my there also are difficulties um, because we're still this side of heaven and there's a lot of sin in us, a lot of sin around us. And so sometimes it really hurts. That's okay. Mm. Everybody goes through that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, pastors aren't exempt. They ought not be, Kent. What kind of pastoral leadership can you offer if you've never walked hard roads? So... It, I, I have loved it. Mm. I have really loved it. And I've particularly loved being married to Ray. Um, you know him well and you respect him, but he is a man of great honor and humility. I, I see him going before the Lord over and over and just re-offering his life, saying, Lord, you are my shepherd. Lead me. Is this of you or is this of me? Show me. Um, he's really loved being a pastor. Now, there are a few things that are tricky about being a pastor's wife. I'm sure. <laughs> and if I, if I could just put a shameless plug out from my new book coming yeah, out in January. Yes. It's called Help, I'm Married to My Pastor. <laughs> uh, that comes out in January? Yes. Oh, not January. until January. Not until but January. But you're mostly done writing it though, right? Yeah, it's at the publisher oh, now. Oh, wow. Okay. But it always takes a while to get endorsements uh, okay. and get it typeset and All then right. the final print and then to the printers and then to the booksellers. Okay. So. January, it'll be out. Um, I think one thing that can be a little bit tricky is most of the world, at least in modern day America, works a five-day week, uh, Monday to Friday, and they'll usually take Saturday off and then go to church Sunday if they're believers. But oftentimes they'll have those a weekend, mm-hmm. whereas we, and I believe many pastors, work a, a six-day work week. Ray would work from Tuesday through Tuesday morning through Sunday night, and then he would take Monday off. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not so bad if you think, well, we're just following the Lord's pattern. He worked six days, and mm-hmm. then on the seventh day he rested. So he's not asking us to do anything more than what he did. Mm-hmm. So, but that can be tricky. Yeah. Especially on Saturdays when you've got young children who are at sports events and your husband has to get the sermon done and contact the missionary who's going to be praying during the service and make sure that um, the band has the right music or whatever. Uh, Ray was always really good about getting there for our kids. But it's a very intense life. Mm -hmm. If you've got a wedding that week on Saturday, a wedding rehearsal Friday night, 
uh, maybe have some visitation, unexpected death, uh, all sorts of things like that. But, oh, what a privilege Mm. to be there and connect in the most intimate and sweetest of ways your flock with the great shepherd. You're just the under-shepherd bringing them to him. I'm so grateful I got to be married to my pastor. Mm. Yeah, so it's difficult, but you wouldn't have it any other way. But um, the six-day thing, and let's be honest, that bleeds into six and a half way too quickly, I think. Um, that is That does seem difficult to me, and mm. particularly when you have, let's say, um, you're working Saturday, but a lot of people aren't working Saturday and then you're taking Monday off, but a lot of people are working Monday and you're getting these texts or emails or Slack messages on your time off. And, um, and and then your time off is really not that well protected anyway. It's one of the things I'm, I'm curious what, what your thoughts are on how people can best support their pastors. And one of the thoughts that, that I would suggest is, protect their time off as much as possible. Don't be contacting them. Um, because I think that working six days, that is intense. That's very intense. Yes. Um, you know, were we cut out for that or not? I don't know. Obviously a lot of people are doing it. Um, but, uh, but man, taking the time off and trying to rest as deeply as you can, that seems so important. What, um, how else can people be supporting their pastors or, or what are some of the other difficult parts of being a pastor that maybe a lot of people don't think of? Well, some of the ways you can support your pastor is by praying for him and then letting him know. You could even ask him, is there something I could pray for you about this week? I want to hold you up. I appreciate your ministry to us. I really believe that the pastoral ministry is won or lost in the heavenlies. Hmm. So much more than at, you know, down here on mm-hmm. our level. Uh, there's a, there are a lot of forces against the church. And uh, prayer can be the, the wall, so mm-hmm. to speak. So I think the best way you can support your pastor is by pr- praying for him. Another way um, is that people in leadership are talked about. They just are. It's, it's one of the prices you pay. It's no fun because uh, no one really understands another person's life until you walk in their shoes. Right. And um, it's very easy when you, in a sense, are the employer. It's your tithes who are supporting this man and his family. So if he does something that you don't like, you feel justified in criticizing him. So uh, the gossip and rumor mill can be very difficult on a man. So along with prayer, I would encourage church members to keep, uh, there's a psalm that says, keep a watch over my lips and a guard Mm -hmm. over my mouth, O Lord. That if we as believers could just set a, a guard over our lips before we say, can you believe he took his family to Florida for two weeks? I can't right. do that. Yeah, Man, are we paying him too much? Or, yeah. you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, he didn't remember my sister-in-law's name and it's the third time she's visited. Or Yes. Uh, that, 
that can be very hard. Mm-hmm. Support your pastor by prayer and by word. Mm. And the third thing is, if you love and support his wife, he'll feel supported. But if okay. you come to his wife and try to get to him through her, it's very hard. Do we have time yeah. for a story about this? Absolutely, we do. Go ahead. Ray was pastoring a very large and significant church in Augusta, Georgia. And uh, he had two morning services and an evening service. So he was really busy. Every weekend? Every Sunday. Two, two services in the, in the morning and one and, Sunday night. Yes, different sermons okay. at night. Oh, okay. okay oh, so, so the old kind of, I don't want to say old-fashioned, but... We used to go to church on Sunday nights, too. (laughs) (laughs) Me, too. Yes. And it's wonderful. And sometimes he'd have another staff member do Sunday night. But it was an intense ministry and wonderful. We loved it. But um, it was a new subculture for us. We moved from Chicago to the Deep South. Mm. And there were just some things we didn't quite understand. And uh, people would think they could get to Ray through me. And, of course, I wanted Ray you know, to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Every wife wants her husband to be perceived as being perfect, at least. And so I would get suggestions. Could you tell Ray that here we put the lapel pin on the right lapel, not the left? Oh, wow. Or um, could you tell him that missionary's name is pronounced clerk, not Clark? Or, you know, things like that. And I'd I'd think, oh, well, he should know this, so people will like him and accept him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just didn't realize it, Kent. But one night, one Sunday night, as I was um, handing over these suggestions that had been given to me Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening after the evening service, when he was absolutely exhausted, rather than get upset with me, this dear man of God took me in his arms, pulled my face to look right in those big blue eyes, and he said, honey, let me tell you something. So I got quiet and he said, every man needs one person, just one, one person on the face of this whole wide earth who thinks he's okay, Mm. who isn't trying to change him. Mm -hmm. And then he asked me a very important question. Would you be willing to be that person for me? Mm. Oh, can't I just teared up. I tear up now thinking of it. What was I thinking? You know, if they, if something was important enough for Ray to hear, then they ought to let him know. They ought to make that appointment or write the email rather than use the pastor's wife. Mm-hmm. So I would ask your listeners as they're thinking about their pastor, pray for him mm-hmm. and uh, set a guard over their mouth regarding him and his family. And then if they have something they want to talk to him about, make an appointment with him, not his wife. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, that's a powerful story too. Um, Yeah, and I'm so glad that I have that. You know, I don't know if if everyone does, but I I mean, I really do. Yeah, yeah. And it's really, it's like, that's actually very well said. You just need one person to be on your side all Mm -hmm. the time um, to, to accept you as you are and love you. So, yeah, I'm really grateful that uh, I have that. Yes. Um, the, what's interesting about that is I remember Ray, I think it was in a family gathering maybe, kind of addressing that 
with um with just the expectation on on um Jessica TJ's wife and look we are we are calling TJ to be our lead pastor now Jessica's his wife and that's a very so in a sense in a sense you're they're, they can't be separated from each other, obviously, but we're not calling Jessica to be the lead pastor. It's TJ. And so the expectations of a lead pastor are on TJ. They're not on Jessica. And being being careful about protecting Jessica and her um, well-being and her privacy when it's needed and and not trying to use her to get to TJ. So this was, you know, he mentioned yeah. it and that was very helpful to hear like, oh, okay, well, that's Apparently, if he's saying it, then there's a way that people can go wrong here. Mm-hmm. Um, what um, What is the, maybe we already covered it, but I'm curious what the premise of your book is. Uh, help I'm married to my wife. pastor. Yeah. Um, the premise is that every pastor's wife needs a friend. Mm-hmm. And I would love to be that friend. Mm. I would hope, I, I wrote the book in rather a lighthearted but deep way, if, if you can fit, blend mm-hmm. those two together, um, so that she might feel she's sitting across from me and we're having a cup of okay. tea together. Yeah. Um, the different chapters are like, help, I can't remember their names anymore. Help, another couple is leaving. Help, our romance is regressing. Mm. Help, I need more of God. Um, help, I didn't bargain for this. You know, yeah. just different ways very like practical. that. Yes, I want it to be very okay. practical. My heart goes out to pastor's wives um, because behind that man, if he has a woman who is praying, listening, caring, encouraging, feeding, loving, taking care of him, he'll do better. Oh, yes. And so I want a wife in the ministry to know, I get it. Mm. <laughs> There's someone else out there. At the end of each chapter, they're just short chapters. You could read them in 10 minutes, probably each chapter. There's a short letter uh, to their pastor, just encouraging the pastor in how his wife sees this mm. specific aspect of ministry and how he might help her. Mm. Maybe some questions to ask her, something to pray about together. So I am hoping that the Lord will use it in pastoral and ministry couples as well. It yeah. would apply to ministry yeah. couples. Oh, I'm sure it will. What are some of the things that are some of the challenges maybe that you encounter as a pastor's wife that people would not necessarily think of? It is very, it's, it's so critical because even in a lot of companies now are doing interviews with a spouse. So if they're yes. hiring... um you know, someone they're going to, if they are married, they're going to want to get to know the spouse a little bit too, or at least have them looped in on one of the interviews. And, um, it's so critical. It's so critical because we had, uh, we had a fellow working uh, with us one time, um, years ago. And, uh, you could tell it, every time he went home, he kind of had his spine ripped out a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and that must be so difficult yes. just, just working a normal job. And, and I have to think it makes it almost impossible to be an effective pastor. Um, so yeah, it's so critical, but, but, um, being a pastor's wife has its own set of challenges. Are there some other challenges that maybe most people wouldn't think about? One challenge I have had to work through is the challenge of raising perfect children because mm-hmm. they're always on display. 
um, everyone knows the pastor's kids. Hmm. And so Ray and I had to work really hard to free our children to love the church and not perform for the church. Okay. To love Jesus for himself, not because they should love Jesus so daddy's job goes well. Right. Um, and that's a temptation? Very for much. kids? Very much. Think, Kent, if you went to a church where the pastor's kids uh, were disobedient, disrespectful, thieves, lying, wild, yeah. um, mean, aggressive, any of those things that children struggle with naturally because they're yeah. born sinners, yeah. they're children. Um, it, it would be hard. You want, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, through the years I have sensed most church members want a pastor's family that they can look up to. Mm. Most church members want to have hope that it's possible to have a Christian family in this crazy day and age that we live in. Most church members would like uh, to see children that could set an example. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many church members come from families that are unbelieving. They never had Christian parents. And so they're so delighted to have a pastor and wife who both know the Lord who are raising their kids and maybe they can learn something. Yeah. So one of the difficulties for us was that tender balance of encouraging our children to be independent believers of Jesus Christ because he has come to them personally, individually, lovingly, irresistibly. And then also welcoming a responsibility, a gifting that he has given us as a family. We get to be the Ortlands. Mm. We get to serve the Lord on Sunday. What a privilege. I wonder what he's going to do today. Mm. I wonder how we could help someone. Maybe you can help Lincoln sit quietly in church. (laughs) (laughs) We can practice on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Lincoln. I can't resist. I love your Lincoln. He's one of the best young guys I've ever met. I agree. I love him too. (laughs) What a winner. Um, But that's, I'm off track now Mm because I... I'm looking at Lincoln and he's such a winner, Kent. You should be talking about raising wonderful children. But I do believe that that can be tricky for a pastor and yeah, his wife. I'm sure. The, the responsibility that they feel they don't want. I mean, God called them. Uh, they have these children and somehow the children sometimes feel, God didn't call me to this, but in a way he did. Sure. Yeah. If, if your dad is the pastor, then that's his plan for you until you leave this household. Yeah. Yeah. How about parenting? How how do you how do you how do you parent really well? Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you should teach us. Uh, your no. five are amazing. Um, well, they are wonderful kids, oh. but it's because they're wonderful kids and they have an exceptional mom. So I don't need to be teaching anyone about parenting. I can well. promise you that. Um, were there particular, yeah, I guess, what was your routine like? What was your life like when you were raising kids? Um, were there routines or habits or things you guys took care to implement into your daily life? I mean, you guys have exceptional kids. Um, and and the youngest is 
in their thirties, right? Or upper twenties. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're not, Mid-30s. Yeah, they're, so yeah, so they're all adults. Mm-hmm. Um, so you passed like it's all <laughs> <laughs> like they are, they have, uh, they're grown up and, um, and they're great kids. So how did you do that? Oh, can't <laughs> by the grace of God with good examples, with his word to guide us through lots of prayer and with the united front so that Ray and I were a team. One of us wasn't left out there dangling on his or her own. Um, the kids knew they could not pit one of us against the other. Mm. Did they try? Maybe at so. times. Because <laughs> they knew I was a little bit more of a pushover. Mm. But... Um, how do you raise godly kids? Oh, that would be five podcasts, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. We just thank the Lord that they love him. They're serving him. They've married Christians. They're mm. raising Christians. We had our 15th grandchild last yeah, month. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. And we praise God that they're happily serving him. Uh, we were blessed in that Ray had a wonderful example in his parents, and I had a beautiful example in my mother. My father was not a Christian till I was a, a preteen. But, mm. um, so we had some good examples growing up in different ways. You know, it's always easy to give handy tips. I'm full of handy tips for anybody who wants them. But really, I believe it's God's grace. Mm-hmm. It, it's a miracle that any of us come to faith. And uh, you conceive these children in love and you raise them in love and you want to spend eternity with them. Mm-hmm. So you pour everything into them. Mm-hmm. How do you handle or how did you handle a busy schedule, including travel, when you're raising kids? Well, we made sure, we tried to make sure that one of us was always there. Okay. Except we did take one weekend off together as a couple each year, usually in December, because mm. that's our anniversary okay. month. But uh, when Ray traveled, we would check each other's calendars. I started traveling to speak when, in the mid-90s, um, the kids were in elementary and middle school. And Ray would cover. We mm. did have patterns. I mean, we had breakfast together, not with Ray every day, but with me. Then we'd go about our daily duties and we would have a sit-down dinner together nearly every night. Oh, really? And a Sunday noon meal after church. Mm. And in the evenings, when the children were little, I would clean up the kitchen and Ray would bathe them and get them into bed, and then we'd all read together. Mm. Um, and as they grew older, we would have our Bible time together then. Ray mm-hmm. led us in family devotions. In the morning or the evening? In the evening. It okay. just worked better in the evening for us, Kent, mm. because in the morning... You know, we were all thinking, oh, is he taking too long? Or, Mm. you know, why is that child praying so long when we've got to catch the bus? Or, you know, it just worked better for us. Okay, after dinner? After dinner. We usually did it around dessert. Okay. And we'd say, Mm. sweet as a honeycomb are your words to my mouth. Mm. Uh, And we we just want to, you know, have the word associated with sweetness. Yeah. So we'd try to make it short. Uh, We'd keep it according to their age, um, and we'd open it for discussion. Mm. We, we try to make it a reward. One year, we asked the kids, we promised them a trip to Disneyland if 
we were in Chicago at that time, and Disneyland was in Los Angeles, that area. We were going to see his parents. The kids didn't know that we already had a trip planned that summer. <laughs> but if they could learn one verse from each book of the Bible. Oh, wow. And so Memorize I, it? yes, I'm mm. a school teacher, so I made the visuals, and Ray walked us through, and we just walked through. It was a flip chart, and they got. 64 verses learned, mm. and we got to go to Disneyland. Fun things like that where, you know, it's not always daddy telling a long story with a great moral at mm. the end that mm-hmm. bores us, but keep it age appropriate. Yeah. Laugh together. Maybe it's just a night for praying over one of the children together. Maybe it's a night where you say, hey, you know, we're just kind of tired. Let me just tell the Lord we're tired, and let's go relax somewhere mm-hmm. so that it doesn't become legalistic or, or rigid, Yeah, but it feels good. It feels right. It becomes yeah. what Ray likes to call a win-win for both. Mm. You as the head of the family feel that you're leading well, and the children and wife as the recipients feel honored to be led in this way. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I I like that comment about if you're really tired, just telling the Lord that we're we're we we need some rest and and then and then resting. It's um it is one of the things that has stood out to me about Ray is how near God seems. You know, it's like that's what you would do with a friend. Yes. Um, but we I don't think we always think that way with God. Mm-hmm. Um. The uh yeah the. <laughs> My mom, my, my my dad died when I was 10, and um, so mom raised us, and she did a great job, and we gave her a run for it, too. <laughs> I was not a very good kid, um, but, you know, some of my favorite memories now, it's what I remember, is um, mom reading her Bible in the evening, and if we had a question, she was there, you know, to talk, and uh, but yeah, she was very diligent, I guess we could say. At the time, I would have thought uh, maybe using a term more like just um, demanding or something, but very diligent with having devotions after right at the dinner table. It was a daily bread, and it always seemed like it took way too long to read through it, and her prayer was a little bit too long often, but you know, it was appropriate, and in hindsight, yes. that that helped me to see that her faith was important enough to affect her daily life. Mm-hmm. And that lesson stuck. Yes. Um, anything else you did with your kids? When they were or growing, habits? we did try to take a vacation each summer mm-hmm. outside of our home. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we were, we were really broke, but mm-hmm. we'd try to go somewhere for at least one week. Mm-hmm. Ray would often uh, take us to a lake and the kids could swim, the boys would fish, Krista and I would have fun with things. And so we tried to make lots of memories that way. Yeah. Uh, we would try to have one family night a week. Some, oftentimes it was Friday. We'd play games. We'd watch a movie together. Mm. Um, just make it a little bit easier where we enjoy each other. Yeah. So that the kids kind of like being home. Yeah. We spent money and bought a ping pong table, which we put in our basement those years when the kids were in high school and middle school. And we'd have fun ping pong tournaments and... You know, we did, we tried to show the kids that life is really great. Yeah. It can really be enjoyed. And why not? Let's enjoy it to the fullest. God has given mm. us this. Mm-hmm. So let's embrace it and enjoy it. Yeah. So we tried to have vacation, trying to think of other, you know, we, we would teach the children about spending money and mm. 
I encouraged them to work. Mm -hmm. They had to start working at a certain age, and then we teach them about tithing, those Mm -hmm. kind of things. Uh, Other patterns that I'm sure your listeners are into, you know, weekly chores Mm. so that they had some responsibilities. Um, We tried to help our home be open so that they would learn what it means to welcome the stranger and the friend into your family circle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what I remember. My yeah. kids might have different memories. <laughs> well, can't ask us. And yeah. we'll, tell you. <laughs> well, I'd love to. <laughs> Who was the best at ping pong, by the way? Can you share? <laughs> I was, of course, Kent. Come on. <laughs> uh, uh, I was a young boy, and I could beat my mom handily, so yeah, well, I doubt you were the best. <laughs> no, no, I think um, our kids were. <laughs> what, about, um, what about education? Did you instill specifically or deliberately a high value in education with your kids? It seems to me you and Ray do have a high value on education, which is wonderful. And that has stuck with your kids. I mean, it's how how many PhDs do you have in your family? Each one of our sons has a doctorate. So three and then four. Yes. And um, so, and you were a teacher. Yes. I have my master's in education. Yeah. So there's definitely a, there's, let's put it this way. At the very least, there's an understanding of the power of a great education. Um, How do you and Ray think about education? How did you teach your kids about that? Um, Do do you view it as, you know, the more education, the better? Or what is it specifically you're trying to accomplish and make sure you're properly educated about that thing or calling or career, whatever it is? Um, How did you guys think about education? That's a very good question. Let me think about that. I I don't know if we've verbalized it specifically in that way, but of course, with my husband, he has a bachelor's, two masters, and then a doctorate. So he was often working full-time and earning a degree while the children were growing. Mm. So they saw daddy go to his classes at night and work on homework. So they understood that concept of, Mm -hmm. oh, daddy's at school as well as me. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, God must believe in education. His main source of communication is a book. Mm-hmm. So we have to believe in reading, <laughs> I think. Yeah. And we put a high premium on reading oh, and books you? in our family. Okay. Uh, each Christmas, we, we didn't have a lot of money on, as we were, as the children were home. Mm-hmm. Um, but each Christmas, they would get one gift from us and a book. Okay. Each, uh, each, a, a book for that child? Yes. They each got their own book? They yeah, each okay. got their own book. Mm-hmm. And um, w- much of our family time was reading together. Ray would read. The kids always knew they could stay up later if they asked Dad to read them a book. Okay. <laughs> because <laughs> he valued that. Yeah. So I think we instilled it very early on. And then we were very much a part of their education. They were all uh, public schooled, all four except 
our youngest, Gavin, in his last four years, in his high school years, we moved to a church in Augusta, Georgia that had a wonderful Christian school. Oh, okay. And it made sense for Gavin sure, to go yeah, there. why not? Um, and so they all, we were very involved in their education. Mm-hmm. Um, we expected them to do well, to apply themselves. Mm. And we told them, this is your job. Mm. Just like daddy and mommy have jobs, this is your job right now from God. And mm. he's saying, whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord. Well, your spelling test is unto the Lord. So you want to work heartily. Let's review those words. Those kind of things where we can see our choices in school as an offering to our king. And then just freeing them, speaking words of hope and joy over them. Oh, I wonder how God's going to use you. He thought you up trillions of years ago Mm. and before mommy and daddy were ever even born with a purpose in mind. He's going to use you in wonderful ways. I wonder what they are. Mm. Let's pray about it. Let's think about it. Mm -hmm. And instill in them the wonder of being able to serve the Lord. How best you do that? By preparation. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So would you, did you encourage each of them to go to college and then beyond that, just more or less let it up to them? Yes. Okay. But, but you did encourage them to go to college. Yes. When they reached ninth grade, um, they had to work during the summer. Hmm. And um, each year they had to contribute more to a college fund. We, oh, okay. We asked our kids to pay for one full year. Okay. And we would pay for three years. And we'd try to get as much as possible in scholarship and all. Okay, yes. But um, we had three in college at one time. And so, you know, it's really expensive. Sure, yeah. So we said, uh, we'll help you through your bachelor's. Oh, okay. And then you'll be on your own. I see. Um, but we'll support you as best we can. Yeah, um, yeah. So we encouraged them all. It, it was almost unspoken mm. that they would go to college. Okay. It yeah. wasn't as if we were beating, you must go to college. It was yeah. like, oh, this is where mommy and daddy went. Let's go watch a football game there. Sure. This is where we met at college and um, talked about their grandparents, where they went. Okay. That kind of thing. So you focused on instilling a love of learning, a yes. love of reading, um, and then sort of channel that energy into what sounds like a high expectation for them. Like it sounds like you did have high expectations for them in a good way, in a God honoring way, because God does have a plan for every person. Mm -hmm. But if we don't help our kids see that they're just, they may not be aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. Kids catch a lot more than they hear. They see it. They they mm-hmm. see what their parents love and honor and talk about. They see the kind of friends that are brought into the home. Mm-hmm. Mother and daddy say, oh, we admire Mr. Johnson. He's a professor at this college and he understands our archaeology so well. Let's ask him about this. And, you know, that natural curi- curiosity that mm-hmm. children have, just encouraging that, feeding it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was an expectation, but I don't remember beating it into our kids. We mm-hmm. just, at ninth grade, we said, okay, a quarter of what you earned this summer goes into your college fund. And then okay. uh, 
after their, soft, their sophomore summer, a half, their junior summer, 75%, and their senior summer, 100%, mm. went into their college fund mm-hmm. that they earned that summer. So they just kind of grew up thinking it'd be interesting to ask the kids what their impression was. Yeah. I don't remember beating them over the head with a cant. Okay. I remember enticing them with it. And in a way, like you say, just assuming it. Yeah. Well, you you must, and by the way, do you have a few more minutes or do you need to go? A few more. Okay. All right. Um, like, can you want to try turning that mic down a little bit? I'm hearing just a little bit of feedback. Hopefully it's not coming through. Um, all right. Well, we could definitely have another couple of these podcasts. So let me think about what, uh, where we want to go to here. Um <clears throat> Let me let me just ask this kind of in in closing. C- communication. I I am um a big fan of great communication. I love it when I see it. I want to learn a lot more about it. I want to be a lot better myself. Um you're a very good communicator. Ray's a very good communicator. You guys both write books. I think Ray is his <laughs> his verbal communication is it's it's outstanding. Um, listening to watching Ray preach a sermon is it's a it's a bucket list. Like it's 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 it is it's exceptional. What are some of the um, principles or some of the things that you see Ray doing or that you implement yourself that helps with good communication, whether it's written or verbal? It's mm, a good question. Ray had excellent training among his seminary professors. Howie Hendricks used to say, keep it simple, stupid. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, he had wonderful help in the area of uh, preaching homiletics from Haddon Robinson and other professors there. So he had really good training. I think what Ray does, and I try to do not as effectively because I don't have his specific gifting and intelligence, but he tries to get into the listener's head and rather than hear himself speak, just loving to hear himself speak, he wants to be understood. He tries to put himself in the place of the listener. What will make it easy for this listener to absorb this, to hear this, to remember it, to latch on to it? Not what will make him say, oh, that was a beautifully crafted sentence. Mm -hmm. So he's always thinking about his audience. He's always thinking about who am I, to whom am I speaking? Um, And then he does the homework, Kent. He does a lot of study, a, a lot of writing. He manuscripts all of his sermons and then he edits them and he re edits them. And then on Sunday morning, he gets up early and does a final go through. And Mm. oftentimes I'll see him cross off a paragraph and add a sentence or switch it up some way. With a pen after it's printed? Yes. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So it's hard work, but it's service to the Lord. So he wants it to be excellent. Mm. Mm -hmm. For me, I am a visual learner. So I need to have outlines. I, I need to keep it simple, stupid for mm-hmm. me. Um, I, I, like, I like points when I'm speaking, you know, point one, two, three, and have a good conclusion. It just makes it easier for me to follow and remember. Mm. But when you're working with God's word, it's so logical anyhow. There are 
And this is the very word of God. And so there is deep meaning in it, and it does flow. Yeah. Because yeah. it's from the throne room above, yeah. Yeah. and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So if you are a, a good student of the Bible, hopefully that is the biggest part yeah. of speaking yeah. well yeah. on it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate oh, it. This is quite an honor. I really enjoyed it. I being here. Yeah. Can't. Thank yeah. you. It's my honor and yeah. delight. And thank you and Ray for serving so many people so diligently for so many years. And mm-hmm. second to none, Emmanuel Nashville. I mean, the, the church is, you know, I know I'm partial and I'm biased, but that is an exceptional church. I mean, it's a real privilege to be a part of the um, gospel doctrine and gospel culture that's exemplified at Emmanuel Nashville. So thank mm-hmm. you guys. Um, anything you want to leave the listeners with in closing? Oh, no, I'm so teary over that <laughs> sweet commendation. All I would say is let's all just give it all to the mm-hmm. Lord. Let's mm-hmm. serve him. It's from him and to him and through him. I'll just say this, Kent. Many times towards the end of our service there at Emmanuel, I'd be down front with Ray and we'd turn around before the service and see all these people come in. And we'd look at each other and we'd say, this is of God. Mm-hmm. We didn't do this. He has brought these people. Let's serve him well today. Mm-hmm. So what I would say is, he's worth it. Jesus Christ is worth anything and everything. To him be the glory. Amen. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Jan. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you.